0: Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast.
1: Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. That's education, which almost um, two thirds, in fact, two thirds of Australian children uh, enjoy. The other one third, uh, perhaps we could say they enjoy, but we think that perhaps they suffer elitist education, where they're separated out from the rest of the society and um, given some very funny ideas about how important they are. And we'll talk about that a bit later in this program. Now, um, this afternoon we've got our usual press release which will be on our website at www.adogs.info. I'll say that again www.adogs.info. Now we're talking in our press release this week about the wall of separation and how it's being very badly undermined in America. We all know that it's gone in Australia. But for the future, we will be, I believe, having to fight for it again, sooner perhaps rather than later. And as well as that, there's some very interesting things being happening in the press and uh, in the world of the private schools. Oliver's going to tell us about Year 12 students at St Joseph's College, Riverview in Sydney, one of the most prestigious and wealthiest schools in the country, where the children have been given Pfizer vaccine. The Year 12 students have been preferred over everybody else in Australia and been given (laughs) Pfizer vaccine. Well, it just shows you there's something very strange in this this, uh, land of Australia. And as well as that, uh, there was an enormous number of comments on this, by the way, I think about 503 and rising. But um, we're also going to uh, find out uh, from uh, Maddie some other very interesting information about what private schools are up to. And um, we're going to also find out something about what's happening to TAFE funding. But um, let's get on with our press release, 896. The American wall of separation between religion and the state has been undermined and is being undermined by the Trump appointees to the Supreme Court, like Ms Barrett and others and Kavanaugh. Now, dogs believe, and that's why we're here, that state aid to private religious schools contravenes section 116 of the Australian Constitution. Unfortunately, in 1981... The High Court of Australia, which consisted of uh, a lot of private school graduates, of course, didn't agree with us, with the exception, of course, of Lionel Murphy. So we now have, in Australia, entanglement of religion with the state, and it's becoming more and more obvious. Now, Section 116, which separates religion from the state, was originally based on the First Amendment of the American Constitution, And until recently, in America, the wall of separation had been upheld by the American Supreme Court. But in two recent cases, and with Trump appointees on the court, the wall is now under threat. There are these two cases which are very interesting. There's Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia, which um, I think a lot of people will be very interested in. And there's another one, which is... um, yet to be heard and which people are very, very concerned about, uh, and that is Carson versus Macon. Now, Ollie's going to tell you all about Fulton versus the City of Philadelphia, and I'll give you a little bit of information on the Carson versus Macon. Over to you, Ollie.
0: Thank you, Jean. A recent finding in the Fulton versus City of Philadelphia case is a sign of things to come. The ruling ensures that the adherents to minority faiths can come into court and argue that government bureaucrats undervalued their religious objections. The narrow decision, which turned on the specific facts of the case, meant that religious extremists did not get the sweeping free pass they were seeking to discriminate wherever and however they want. In its decision last week in Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, the US Supreme Court held that the Philadelphia held that Philadelphia violated a Catholic foster care agency's First Amendment rights by trying to force the agency, in violation of its religious beliefs, to certify certify same-sex couples to be foster parents.
1: Think about that again. The Catholic Catholic Church deals with foster parents and who can bring up children, and they refuse to let a couple, same-sex couple as 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 it happened, to foster children. Uh, Now, this is a very interesting question indeed, and it turns on whether or not the Catholic Church, because they don't believe in uh, same-sex relationships of any sort, they uh, want to discriminate on, on religious grounds against people who have particular sexual preferences. And actually, in our law and in American law, Uh, this is not not permitted. So, yes, keep going.
0: Many religious liberty advocates had hoped the court in Fulton would overturn a 1990 case that has posed significant hurdles for religious Americans, especially religious minorities, seeking accommodations. While the Fulton decision did not overturn that case, it did offer two promising developments for the protection of minority rights. In Fulton, Philadelphia demanded that Catholic social services certify and endorse same-sex couples as foster parents if it wished to continue to participate in the foster care system, as it has for more than a century. CSS refused, saying that certifying same-sex couples would violate the agency's sincerely held religious beliefs, that marriage is a bond between one man and one woman. In response, Philadelphia stopped sending foster care placement requests to CSS, prompting the lawsuit. In its lawsuit, CSS argued that Philadelphia's actions violated the religious freedom protections under the First Amendment. Specifically, CSS asked the court to revisit the standard created in the 1990 case, Employment Division, v. first amendment, and either overrule it or strictly limited it. In Smith, the court ruled against two members of the Native American church, Alfred Smith and Galen Black, who ingested peyote during their religious rituals peyote was an illegal substance under Oregon law. Smith and Black were fired from their positions as counsellors at a drug rehabilitation centre and were barred from receiving unemployment benefits because of their workplace misconduct. Previous ruling raised civil liberty concerns. The court said that the First Amendment's religious freedom protections did not immunise Smith and Black from the consequences of criminal law. So long as a law is applied to everyone, or is in the court's words neutral and generally applicable, it is permitted. The Smith decision prompted outcry from civil liberties groups and religious advocates because the broad discretion it gave the government meant that few religious claimants would win, especially minority religious groups that have little political or social capital.
2: Many religious
0: liberty advocates had hoped the court in Fulton would overturn Smith particularly because the court had indicated its potential, potential willingness to do so?
1: Well, the court didn't overturn it completely, but it certainly undermined it. Um, but it um, restricted it to the facts of the particular case um, in uh, Philadelphia. But um, one would have to say that perhaps it was a win. Now, the other case which is coming up, Carson versus Macon, from our point of view, was even more dangerous. The US Supreme Court has announced just this week on July 2nd that it was going to hear the Carson versus Macon in its next sitting term. It's a case which could significantly impact religious freedom and church-state separation. It's related to the First Amendment and many towns in Maine don't have public school districts. So the state provides a tuition assistance program for residents of those locations to send their children to private schools, but sectarian schools are excluded. So in Maine, if there isn't a public school, you can get money for a private school, but so long as it's not religious. The Institute for Justice represents two families challenging the exclusion of sectarian schools from the program. So the issue at stake in this Carson versus Macon case, because at the moment in most states of America, private religious schools don't get state aid like they do in Australia. So the issue at stake is whether a state violates the religious precautions or equal protection clause of the United States Constitution by prohibiting students participating in an otherwise generally available student aid program from choosing to use their aid to attend schools that provide religious instruction. So this is a case allegedly about educational choice, but it's actually the camel in the Australian separation tent uh, because in this country, choice takes precedence, the choice of parents and religious men takes precedence over the choice of children uh, getting a public education. So dogs are watching the outcome of Carson versus Macon with great interest. But we'll have a bit of a a break now. Um, That's enough for the legalese of the day. We'll get on to uh, more interesting material.
2: You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago, this year. Now, we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now, it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day. And we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism... Capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your
3: station in struggle and solidarity.
4: To donate, go to 3cr.org.au.
1: Well, you're listening to the DOCS program, and we're here to bring you the latest news and to defend and promote public education. And in the process, of course, we oppose the giving of any taxpayer money to private religious schools. Uh, But um, in in recent weeks, there's been an awful lot of very interesting material about about just how far... The wealthy private schools in Australia are prepared to go. And uh, up there in Sydney, at Riverview, on the, on the most beautiful Lane Cove River, a beautiful, beautiful place, uh, in, in a, a Jesuit college, uh, one of the wealthiest schools in Australia. They have really pulled off something very special. All, all of the year 12 boarding students. Uh, have been given, not even AstraZeneca, but Pfizer. And Oliver's going to tell you all about
0: it. Thank you, Jean. Jordan Baker and Natass- Natassia Chrysanthus write, New South Wales Health allowed about 160 year 12 students at St Joseph's College at Hunters Hill to be inoculated against COVID-19 with the Pfizer vaccine, even though the program has only officially been rolled out to people aged 40 and above. Multiple sources familiar with the situation told the Herald that HSC students at the high fee independent school will bust to a vaccine centre at the end of last term for their first shot and are due to have their second shot when school resumes. In response to a query from the Herald, the college's principal, Ross Tarlington, said the school approached the Sydney local health district in May to inquire about the possibility of vaccinations for students given many were boarders from remote, regional, and Indigenous communities. About 160 year 12 boys at St Joseph's College have been given Pfizer shots. The approval and administration of the vaccine is endorsed and managed by the New South Wales Health through the Sydney Local Health District, the statement from Mr Tallington said. The College proceeded to make arrangements for the administration of the approved vaccine at a centre determined by New South Wales Health. Acknowledging that the college does not determine vaccination priority, it welcomed the opportunity to offer the vaccine for students given the approvals provided and for the reasons listed above. The college will continue to encourage and support members of its community to receive the appropriate vaccine as the opportunity arises. St Joseph's College takes advice from New South Wales Health and follows public health orders regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. The safety of our school and local community remains a key priority in all college decision-making. About 150 of the school's 200 Year 12 students are boarders. In a statement, New South Wales Health said it gave the jabs in error.
1: (laughs) Interesting error, very interesting error.
0: Very. Sydney Local Health District was approached by St Joseph's College in Hunters Hill in relation to the vaccination of Aboriginal students at the boarding school. The statement said, it was agreed that the Aboriginal students would be vaccinated through the state health system at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital's vaccination hub. Through an error, the wider group of boarders in year 12, a total of 163 students, were also vaccinated. Only people aged between 40 and 60 are officially eligible to receive the Pfizer shot in New South Wales, as well as priority groups of other ages, such as people working in health or quarantine front lines, those with disabilities and household contacts, and Indigenous people aged over 16. 4% of St Joseph's students are Indigenous.
1: 4% so the Aboriginal children, the, the, the bit, little bit of charity that um, this uh, wealthy school offers were then used to get the Pfizer vaccine, the best vaccine, the most, um, uh, the vaccine that everybody wants for all the other children. And might come from remote areas, but you can bet your bottom dollar they come from very wealthy families in remote areas.
0: Waiting times vary between vaccination centres. There is high demand with some people waiting weeks for their shot. The vast majority of the state's 100,000-odd teachers in the public and private school systems have not yet been vaccinated, and pressure is mounting from the New South Wales Teachers Federation and the Independent Education Union to put teachers on the priority list amid concerns the Delta variant is more contagious among children. They've, they've uh, vaccinated the police, but not
1: the teachers. Very interesting priority, isn't it?
0: St Joseph's College is a member of the prestigious Athletic Association of Great Public Schools, or GPS, and charges $35,800 for, uh, for day boys and $50,000 for boarders. While year 12 boys have been inoculated, school has not arranged vaccines for teachers. While eligibility for the Pfizer vaccine is technically limited to certain age groups and high priority jobs, many people are obtaining vaccinations without fitting those criteria. Last, uh, last month, librarians, waste collectors, and lifeguards at Waverley Council in eastern Sydney had their jabs.
1: Well, isn't that interesting? Well, as I've said, there were hundreds and hundreds of responses to this situation. Dale will give you a few of them. Over to you, Dale.
3: Thank you, Dean. Yes, Jab said, uh, he asked, did they also vaccinate their teachers? And Maud says, I reckon there's a few million people looking for accidental vaccination right about now. Jeez. Uh, MaraMana says, according to the ABC this evening, the local area health service have now apologised and said the boys received the vaccine in error. And then Jack says, "Good on you, good on you, Joey's. Well done, especially for those Indigenous students, all four percent of them." And then Jaybro says, "Lots of people need it a lot more." And Orangefly said the first jab was given in May when there was a poor take up of vaccination. Now there's been a breakout. It's, "Oh, what about me?" And then Joe says, "There are more than 240,000 indigenous kids in school in schools. Have they been vaccinated? New South Wales Health has now admitted that only the indigenous students were meant to receive the vaccine, but due to an administrative error, all 160 students were considered eligible. Well, wouldn't that be a nice administrative error to happen to a public school? But that don't seem to—it doesn't seem to work that way, does it, Jean?
1: No, no. Well, uh, that's um, that's it for the moment, and we'll have a bit of a break, and then we'll come back. Maddie's got a fascinating article about the old school tie to read you.
4: Three CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. As much as we are lied to that what is happening in Palestine is complicated, there is nothing complicated about it. Israel maintains a regime of apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. None of these concepts are new. They have all existed in some form throughout history. This nation is founded on settler colonialism. Drawing parallels between our struggles doesn't only shed light on the commonality of different social justice issues, but it also shows us that as Palestinians, our freedom and liberation is so inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many others around the world.
2: 3CR Radio Time, community-powered radio.
5: To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au.
1: Yes, well, we are confronted again and again in Australia uh, with inequalities, uh, which go back into our education system, where these wealthy private schools and, in fact, the private sector um, seem to be able to always pick the public sector at the post when it comes to favouritism, uh, particularly when it comes to not just jobs, but also jabs. But there was a fascinating article uh, written in the age of this week uh, about, in fact, the class society in Australia and how the private schools fit in to what is, what is actually becoming a society which is very like the old British aristocratic system. But over to you, Maddie.
5: Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, this article was written by Julie Zego for The Age, actually on July 7th. So, every so often, Australia's education debate flares up like eczema, marrying what's left on the nation's egalitarian self-image. In recent weeks, people have been unpacking the conversation starter and sometimes ender. What school did you go to? The old school tie is not as potent as it once was, but going to the right school can still pave the way to a degree in law or medicine. Such courses being disproportionately populated by graduates from rich schools, um, a glittering social scene, should you wish for one, and jobs for the well-connected, although these have loosened in recent decades thanks to economic disruption and mass migration. The question, what school did you go to, can be a conversation starter and ender. As the age recently laid bare, the school question is more frequently lobbed in Melbourne, the famed home ground of Australian progressivism. Go figure. New South Wales, by contrast, has a system of elite public schools and a more entrenched culture of meritocracy. But even in that great republic to our north, businesswoman Amanda Rose was compelled to establish Western Sydney Women, a networking clique honouring her geographic origins. As Rose explained to the ABC, organisers at a business conference six years ago advised her not to admit to her Western Sydney roots. Who are these people, these Antipodean transmogrifications of hyacinth bucket, pronounced bouquet, in keeping up appearances? In the UK, of course, social mobility remains a grinding ambition. Meanwhile, a succession of Oxford-educated Tory leaders has reduced Britain to a running gag. Five years ago, university student Sophie Pender founded the Networking 93% Club, a reference to the proportion of British children attending state schools, after she, like Rose, twigged that her working-class background was working against her. The club is running a hashtag state school proud campaign promoting the virtues of state education. Raised by a single mother in a North London housing estate, Penda became the first student in her local state school to get straight A's and the first in her family to get to university. Where she was repeatedly asked and rarely out of idle curiosity, what school did you go to? The old school tie has lost some of its potency, but it can still open doors to degrees in law and medicine and jobs for those in the network. The ABC's Virginia Trioli had assumed her arrival at Melbourne University from a public high school signified no more than reward for individual effort, until her boyfriend, a former Xavier boy, said, You've really done well for yourself, haven't you? (laughs) His comment, Trioli writes, Implied I'd lifted myself up to this level, to his level, I reached his casme- I reached for his cashmere soft shoulder, and at this rate, I might even belong. Classism tends to be subtle and insidious. The overt Mrs. Bouquet, style generally out of season, and often masquerades as good intentions. We hear it when headmasters, praise families who value education and thus make sacrifices in the sum of 35 k plus after-tax dollars annually to send their children to elite schools. So what to do with the rest of us, the evidently morally dubious 65% club in Australian state schools? Well, it's only fair we pitch in our share of taxpayer funds so the good folks at Melbourne Grammar et al., can get on with pumping out future leaders who will likewise demand the masses prove themselves worthy of a world-class education. It's only fair, we pitch in nearly $20 million in JobKeeper subsidies to Wesley College, a school that boasts a visual arts and design precinct, don't only cities have those, and gets recurrent taxpayer funding. So it can stash $5 million into a scholarship fund to lure the deserving poor students likely to deliver the school musical academic sporting glory. The less well-off can still access a private education through sports, academic or music scholarships. Alas, We can even detect echoes of classism amongst those public school principals intent on mimicking the 19th century private school uniforms denoting status. Blazers, hats, ridiculous ties. Surely public school educators can have high expectations of students without implying their backgrounds ought to be a source of shame. In truth, much of the school shaming in recent times has been directed at elite private school milieus after the revelations of misogyny and sexual assault. Frankly, I started to feel sorry for schools such as Wesley that found themselves singled out for the toxic conduct of some boys. Counterintuitive, as this may sound, I've even wondered if the intense focus on sexual misconduct in mostly elite schools itself is symptomatic of classism. Is sexual violence less of a problem in state school settings, maybe? Perhaps fewer families have dwellings big enough for wild parties. Parents are less likely to be away skiing. Peer group pressure is less pronounced because the school community is less homogenous. Or is it that the presence of harassment and criminality among public school students isn't a story in the eyes of a broadly privileged media class? After all, what else can we expect of the lower orders? Still, A member of Australia's judiciary confessed to me recently that he prefers hiring state school graduates as associates. He finds private school graduates too entitled. One candidate, a bloke, clearly, even put his feet up on the desk during an interview. For real. It's ridiculous. Whereas public school graduates, the judge told me, are more grateful for the gig. But as the judge readily conceded, public school kids shouldn't need to be grateful to land plumb jobs. Because in a real meritocracy, in a society that looks to its future productivity and social cohesion, plum jobs are available to all who strive, irrespective of their postcode or school. In a real meritocracy, the state does not actively encourage educational segregation whereby some schools have leaking roofs and others their own weather station and then declare, as has Federal Education Minister Alan Fudge, sorry, Alan Tudge, class warfare over. In a real meritocracy, no class of people can unselfconsciously assume they own the future.
3: And there's been many comments uh, associated with this article. Uh, Pombo says, thank you, Julie. I can think of few things more upsetting about Australian society than the gross inequality we tolerate in educational opportunities and outcomes. Deeply rooted and taxpayer funded, this unfairness condemns hundreds of thousands of Australian kids to unfulfilling lives, wastes the precious human resources of the nation and provides a select few a cushy ride to the top where they have dominion over us all and we pretend we're the land of the free of the fair go. Uh, Kim said the old school connection has long been a myth it's of little value in assisting with a career and is now a hindrance rather than a benefit the oft-quoted facts are not supported by the data. Uh, Thank you, Julie, says Lynette. Uh, I'm I'm of the firm belief that private schools should be just that, privately funded and not receiving a penny of public money. Then all the millions that are poured into the schools with a visual arts and design precinct could go into state schools, which would then of such excellent quality that nobody would be bothered with private schools at all.
1: Well, wasn't that a beauty? I think that they did a very good job, all of you. So I uh, will have a bit of a break and then Sol is going to come back with a very interesting article from Angelo Gabriolatus of the New South Wales Teachers Federation called Crunch Point. Up there in New South Wales, they're very short of teachers, and there's been a lot of schools that have actually gone on strike because they haven't got enough teachers. You know, it's quite confusing, the cultural heritage laws in this country, and that is of extreme concern to our people across this country, and, you know, not only the Japarang on trees, there's Duke and Gorge, and there are a number of other sacred areas. Of extreme significance to our peoples across the country that are being, you know, because of the cultural heritage laws that are in place, are, you know, not actually protecting our
2: heritage at all. 3CR Radiothon, community powered radio.
5: To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3CR.org.au.
1: you're listening to the dogs program and we're here to promote and to defend public education. And that means public education teachers. We find it extraordinary that in these covid times that teachers are not being given priority for vaccination in the same way that other frontline workers are doing or have been given. Uh, We find it extraordinary that uh, the uh, wealthy children of uh, remote Australia, together with the 4% of Indigenous children at Riverview, Sydney, are given the Pfizer vaccine, but our teachers are not given this as a priority when they are in very much the front line of the uh, pandemic. But uh, Sorrel's got a fascinating article which is written by Angelo Gavriolatos, the the President of the New South Wales Teachers' Federation, which will give you an idea of uh, what is going on up there in
4: New South Wales. Thanks, Jean. Yes, this article by Angelo Gavriolatos is called Crunch Point. The Gallup Inquiry flagged it, independent research confirmed it, and our members are voting with their feet. New South Wales public education is in the thick of a staffing crisis. A new report into school staffing in New South Wales has produced damning evidence that the state government inaction over shortages in the face of a burgeoning enrollment forecasts will result in crunch point for education in New South Wales over the coming decade. In many regional and rural locations, it is happening now. The report, Impact of Enrollment Growth on Demands for Teachers, found that New South Wales must recruit 11,000 teachers just to meet the record number of public school enrolments predicted by 2031. Further, that predicted teacher shortfall rises to almost 14,000 over the 10 years if the student-to-teacher ratio in New South Wales, which the report found was the highest in the country, was pegged to the national average, which is lower than the state's figure. The report, commissioned by Federation and researched by education economist Adam Rorris, confirms that over the past 10 years, New South Wales has under-resourced its public schools in terms of teacher numbers when compared to the national average. By its own figures, the Department of Education projects total public school enrolments in New South Wales will reach almost 950,000 students by 2031 up from 810,000 in 2020. The year-long Gallup inquiry into the value of the teaching profession heard first-hand evidence about the difficulties staffing schools in rural and remote public schools. The inquiry found that unless there is a policy reset, a reset that better values the work of teachers and principals, we will not be able to attract and retain teachers in the numbers required. The Gallup report also found that our teachers and principals require a lot more time and support to do the job that's expected of them and that a competitive professional salary is vital to attract and retain teachers. The RORIS report, received in April, has now put the numbers to the staffing shortages we are expected we are to expect in the future and clearly shows the neglect of the New South Wales public system that has persisted and will continue to persist during the coalition government's time in office. But it has been the actions of teachers on the ground since the beginning of the 2021 school year that has driven home the message that it is not right in the New South Wales public school system. The list of schools whose members have voted to walk off the job, an action that teachers do not take lightly, is compelling. They are variously expressing concerns over staff shortages in their area that mean teachers are denied entitlements and or are often working outside of their subject areas. Over the past three months, teachers have walked off the job, teachers have walked off the job including at Golgol, Wentworth, Boronga, Darling Point and Forster Public Schools, Bulladella and Meriwa Central Schools, Walgett Community College, Coonmiala, Gilgandra, Chatham, Candos, and Concord High Schools. To further underline the education crisis in New South Wales, An Auditor-General's report into school infrastructure raised serious concerns about the lack of planning being undertaken by the New South Wales Government for the provision of public education. The Auditor-General revealed that School Infrastructure New South Wales advised the New South Wales Government in early 2020 that the current funded infrastructure program would not meet forecast classroom requirements for 2023 and beyond. The report further confirms a projected enrolment growth of 180,000 additional students expected to enter the public education system by 2039. The Gallup inquiry made it clear the New South Wales government won't fix the shortages or be able to recruit and retain the teachers required without a significant increase in salaries and an improvement in working conditions. As Dr. Jeff Gallup's report recommended, it is time for a reset, not only in the value of the teaching profession, but in the value governments place on public education and the nation's future.
1: Oh, thank you very much. So they're pretty um, they're pretty bolshy up there in New South Wales. Other the New South Wales teachers don't sit down and take it. Uh, I know because I used to be one years ago. And the New South Wales Federation have always been uh, great supporters of public education. So I thank you very much, Sol. Uh, We'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back because uh, we'd like to talk a little bit, Maddie and Sorrel would like to talk a little bit about the equity on the federal government's training agenda.
4: or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to.
1: listening to the dogs program i hope you're still with us because now you're going to have um, maddie and sorrel asking the question is equity on the federal government's training agenda over to you maddie and sorrel
5: thank you so much jean this article is by linda simon um, and she says is equity on the federal government's training agenda as the government continues to make changes to vocational education and training resulting from economic issues highlighted by the current pandemic." The question arises as to whether educational opportunities and funding are being equitably applied. A recent media story told of wealthy individuals in places such as Thailand, traveling outside their home countries in order to be vaccinated for COVID-19. The story starkly highlighted the different vaccination opportunities available to those with money and those without, an equity story apparent in too many areas of our society. Educational opportunities pursue similar patterns, whether it be the private and public school divide or the ability to pay for a course at university or TAFE. Steadily rising fees and decreased government funding for tertiary education have reduced educational opportunities in many countries, including Australia. The 2021-22 federal budget continued the trend with total government funding for higher education decreasing by 8.3% in real terms between this financial year and next year, and by 9.3% in real terms from 2021 to 22, to 2024 to 25, according to analysis. analysis. Meanwhile, total funding for vocational education will drop 10.8% next year, and another 24.2% between 2021 and 2022 and 2024 and 2025. Such cuts have resulted in calls by opposition parties for the federal government to explain how Australia can rebuild its economy and make needed shifts in its workforce if it's continuing to cut funding rather than invest in its tertiary education, both teaching and research. There are areas such as job trainer where funding is increased, another 500 million, but much of this funding will go to for-profit private providers to deliver skills training rather than any investment by the federal government in the public TAFE system where equity has overall been part of its brief. A report published in October 2020 by Victoria University and the Mitchell Institute considered the issues around educational opportunities in Australia, concluding that parts of our population are missing out and falling behind. There are very uneven levels of academic learning across different groups of young Australians and wide gaps in achievement as learners progress from stage to stage. The report outlines how. Based on the estimates, Australia's education and training systems are failing up to one in three young people. At age 24, by which age we can start to see the developed products of our education and training systems, about 30% are not involved in full-time education, training or work. But the rates are higher for those from low SES backgrounds, 49%, and those in regional areas of Australia, 37%. The recent infographic from NCVER, Student Equity in VET, Participation, achievement and outcomes add more to this story, highlighting the number of students from the identified equity groups and how they are faring in vocational education and training. The publication covers people with disabilities, indigenous people, those from low socioeconomic circumstances, those who speak a language other than English at home, those living in remote and very remote areas and those unemployed or not in the labor force. Comparatively high numbers of these students continued to study at TAFE, necessitating funded support services, and many were impacted in terms of employment resulting from COVID-19 stand downs. Women in Adult and Vocational Education, WAVE, partnered with um, A-V-E-T-R-A, Avetra, in coordinating a day of the recent Avetra conference on equity and diversity. This included a keynote address from the Emeritus Professor Anne Jones, Victoria University, and a panel discussion around the issue. What role can adult and vocational education and training play in addressing equity and diversity? Here is what Anne had to say in a follow up interview. Sorrel, would you like to tell us what Anne had to say in the follow up
4: interview? Yeah, I would love to. So Anne went on to say, I think the VET sector has unique opportunities and responsibilities to address inequality. We know that individuals from low SES and other disadvantaged backgrounds are more likely to undertake vocational than higher education. At its best, VET provides transformative opportunities for such learners, access to decent jobs and further learning. However, All too often, VET delivers less successful outcomes for low SES students, early school leavers and women compared with more advantaged VET learners. It is critical that the VET sector transforms rather than reinforces disadvantage. This is particularly important given that when we look across the whole life cycle, many more Australians participate in VET than in any other forms of post-secondary education. VET is uniquely positioned to increase equity. She, along with many others, emphasises the role VET has played and must continue to play in increasing equity. She went on to comment on how little attention was given by many policymakers to the diverse student needs, including the 2020 Productivity Commission report written to inform the new National Agreement for Skills and Workplace. In my experience, she says, VET teachers generally do their best to support the needs of diverse individual students. However, there is insufficient funding to develop their capabilities for working with diverse students, nor enough resourcing to support them. Personally, as well as dedicated funding, I would like us to work towards ensuring that the VET institutions, peak bodies, boards and staff more closely represent the diverse communities that come to VET. If we could achieve that, I think other significant changes would follow. For most of us truly involved in vocational education and training, equity of access and opportunities is a critical aspect of quality. To date, it has not figured prominently in the discussion and reforms of the federal government around skills. Since August 2020, the Federal Department of Education, Skills and Employment has been undertaking a program to help determine its workplace of the future. It states, Australia's future economic prosperity depends on a skilled mobile workforce that can meet the needs of industry. As the nature of work globally changes, qualifications need to address the changing skills, skill needs of employers and prepare individuals for the jobs of today and tomorrow. Perhaps the federal government and department need to be reminded that Australia's future economic prosperity, prosperity, must be equitable and include all Australians. Government policy that makes this clear in any changes related to VET, supported by appropriate funding, would also be a good place to start. Well, thank
1: you very much, uh, Sorrel and Maddie. Uh, TAFE has always been the poor relation of the universities, but uh, the privatisation of TAFE has been, uh, well, it's been not just a disaster but um, a scandal. But Dale has got something special to tell. Yeah, just quickly, I'd
3: like to uh, invite people to go and sign a petition at uh, Uh, getup.org.au. Bully boys menacing and controlling. Former Liberal MP Julia Banks has blasted some of the most powerful male members of the Morrison government in explosive new recounts of her time in politics. From astoundingly brazen sexual harassment to intimidation from male peers, she's talking out, she's speaking out on the gut-wrenching toxic culture she endured beneath Scott Morrison as Prime Minister. But this corrosive culture of disrespect is far from unique to Parliament it's entrenched in homes, workplaces and public places. It starts in our schools where kids aren't learning about consent in respectful relationships. We need to break the cycle and tackle this pervasive culture head-on by putting consent and respect at the forefront of kids' education from an early age. That's why over 20,000 people have signed the petition Uh, demanding expert-led consent education in all schools but influencing key decision makers will take an even bigger public push Uh, the thousands of people who've signed know that building and maintaining respectful relationships is an important life lesson that everyone should learn that educators parents school nurses everyday people who believe everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect so uh Between student-led walkouts and a New South Wales parliamentary petition backed by both major parties, the call to overhaul consent education across the country is fast gathering steam. A huge public push now could catapult the issue and the expert-led solutions into the public spotlight. Schools aren't just places for kids to develop literacy, numeracy, and other core skills. They're also places that teach the next generation about values and goals. Uh, so that's where the future starts. And remember Barnaby Joyce is back in politics now. So uh, we have a hell of a lot of unresolved issues around consent. So do a search for get up, teach kids consent and sign the petition. But uh, We'll be back with a great state school. For
1: three years teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working
0: conditions attacked relentlessly by the government. I'm the product of a government
2: funded
0: Every week on the Dogs program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State
3: schools are great schools. School of the week, state school. School the great of the school.
2: week, great state schools. State, state schools. schools school are great of the schools. week. School for the week here on the Dogs program. <laughs>
5: Our great state school is one that we have previously mentioned, because it's so good, we want to mention it again. It's Kensington Primary. After years of desperately trying to scrape together funds to fix Kensington Primary School, the community has welcomed 7.365 million dollars in upgrades from the Victorian government to fix the historical school for good. The much anticipated funding was revealed in the McKays state budget after Goliath efforts from KPS parents, staff and students who have been forced to reach deep into their own pockets just to fix surface-level problems. They were assisted by the state member for Melbourne, Ellen Sandal. How good is that? That's
3: private school money, isn't it? That's the, that's the kind of uh, funding that we usually only hear going to private schools, isn't it, Jane? Yes, well, uh, there's been a lot of... Uh,
1: very very definite lobbying over in that part of the woods uh, because uh, state school parents uh, sometimes realize that it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Unfortunately it's usually private school squeaky wheel that gets uh, that gets a lot of oil. Mm. but um, yes, uh, congratulations to the parents and teachers and principal of Kensington Primary School.
3: And I just like to quickly add that uh, we're still trying to just that get that last push for our radiothon target. Um, so uh, just because the radiothon week is over doesn't mean you can't donate. Doesn't mean you can't pledge to donate to the dogs on uh, and to keep three CR on air for another year. We're almost there, but uh, just a little bit of a little bit of a push if you haven't donated already feel free to uh, call the station on 94198377 or go to www.3cr.org.au forward slash
1: donate and back to you jean yes well uh, yes we we're a little bit short of our target this year it's about if anybody wants to give us a thousand dollars that would be very very nice but um I think that we've uh, run out of time. I'm told that we run out of time. So from Maddie and Ollie and Sorrel and Dale and me, it's bye for now.
2: I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night. Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, here ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Am standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did. Says Joe, but I did. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die Says Joe, I didn't die And standing there as big as life And smiling with his eyes Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize went on to organize from san diego up to maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you'll find your hill it's there you'll find